Welcome to the third episode of the Product Weekend podcast, powered by Productized. This is where we meet the inspiring people behind great products. My name is João Moita, and today we have with us Diogo Rendeiro, Head of Product at Ample Market and one of the speakers of the first Product Weekend event. Diogo has a vast experience in product, having worked at three different tech unicorns and now at a fast-growing early-stage company. In this conversation, he shares some useful insights and personal stories about his path. Besides being a head of product, he is also an empathic mentor, an innovator at heart, and a fun person with the craziest passions. By the end of the episode, you have some books, travel, and podcast recommendations from him. I hope you enjoy this episode. How would you describe yourself as a child? As a child? Um, relatively quiet and shy, I guess. Um, playing games. So reading books. Mm-hmm. Computers was a part of your life since your childhood? Not as, not as early as, for example, my, my, my brother. Um, I guess because there were no Game Boys in my, in my days. Um, but, um, yeah, gaming, uh, consoles and stuff like that early on. And then eventually we had a computer. Um, mm. Yeah. And how did you become passionate about computers and technology in order to start studying that, that subject? Early on, I, I, I guess I figured out that I could understand how to do things because I would just explore until, until it broke, uh, mm-hmm. with, uh, with, uh, with the computer in terms of like, ah, how, how can you do this with Word or Excel or whatever? Um, and my parents were much more cautious. So I always recall that my, my father had a, a guideline, um, that you can never use save as. Because it will consume too many, too much memory. Uh, so, so I guess that, that was, that helped me like just explore and get comfortable around computers from an early age. Uh, Did you break any computer? No, I, I was never much into the hardware. Mm-hmm. It was more like exploring the, how to do things, uh, in the software side. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then I guess from affinity with, uh, with mathematics and that, that part. Eventually translated into, oh, you can give instructions to the computer. Mm-hmm. So finding out about programming, um, I think initially with uh, HTML, uh, mm-hmm. very basic stuff, and it was also this was ninth grade, so fifty-five um, k uh, bandwidth type uh, internet with very limited mm-hmm. time, like half an hour a day, and very mm-hmm. limited websites, mm-hmm. but I could make my own website uh, yeah. uh and uh that that i think was the first m- aha moment <laughs> yeah i can just write some lines of code and stuff happen yeah by magic yeah and it was not even like more advanced ways of programming it was just like uh you know formatting essentially mm-hmm. making some wo- some words bigger and bold and it was just like Oh, you edit this text file and then you save it as this HTML thing. And then you have to open it mm-hmm. inside Internet Explorer. And it does stuff <laughs> like uh, magic happens. Text can scroll around the screen with uh, this marquee tag, mm-hmm. which we were all, Oh, the marquee tag. <laughs> okay. And uh, when you, when you started university, so you already had figured out that you wanted to, to work in this field. 
I had figured out, um, I, I guess I was pretty convinced because uh, I had uh, chosen the, um, not the normal uh, high school path, like mm -hmm. the standard groupings we have in Portugal, but the specialized path for um, informatics, which okay. doesn't actually teach you much, but that's another, a whole other. Uh, <laughs> but, it, but, it, but it was something that was in my mind uh, at the time. Um, in terms of like what do I want to go do when I grow up, and it was very clear that it was related with mathematics and physics, um, and um, and that put me on the direction towards engineering, and then eventually, specifically, something around computers mm -hmm. uh, crystallized, and it, it, it would have been either towards uh, informatics or or electronics, but. Um, but again, never too much to, to play with the hardware. Mm. And uh, during your days at university, while well, you were already learning some mm -hmm. more real stuff, mm -hmm. let's say, um, what did you think your life would look like when you start, would start working? So, I guess I had no clue, to be honest. But um, I thought I would be a programmer. Um, I saw myself as a, as a programmer uh, and just learning more better ways to, to code and to manage code and stuff like that. And I was, and I know that in the first few years, uh, I was fascinated with, uh, artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And then eventually I didn't, didn't actually follow that path because it was, um, it was very much the um, logicians, uh, view also called symbolic school mm -hmm. uh, of AI that um, that the, the university was was more geared towards at the time and yeah, not mm -hmm. so much the machine learning the application uh, statistical mm. okay. uh, view of AI mm -hmm. that is more popular today yeah so it was more of an academic view and when I got to that in the masters I was like eh, I don't like this um, <laughs> And then eventually, I'm working in startups that use AI, but from mm -hmm. the the other the other, yeah, school of thought, so to say. Yeah, and talking about that um, academic experience. So after you finished your masters, mm -hmm. you started your professional path, let's say, yeah. as a researcher, correct? Um, not exactly. So I I, I went into consulting. Okay. Mm -hmm. I guess I guess uh, I had some uh, research scholarship mm -hmm. for the summer. Oh, okay. While still at university, and then um, I started in consulting, and eventually I took a break uh, from consulting to finish my masters the, because okay. the the thesis was a pain point there and it didn't mm -hmm. get finished, and that's where I had a brief. Um, um, researcher-like experience. Uh, okay. And how, how long was that? I think I think it was like a, a three-month sabbatical or four months to, 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 to actually just finish my thesis, get my degree officially, mm -hmm. um, which was something that was... Uh, <laughs> it, it, it was a, an issue for me um, to not have that mm -hmm. done uh, and closed. And then, I think it was um, 
was something that I picked up again uh, a bit later for a period after when I realized that I didn't want to continue in consulting. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, we had feedback on the work of the thesis that had originated a paper, and I had the opportunity to just pick, okay, let's invest some more time in this mm-hmm. to get that paper published. Um, okay. So that it was kind of like broken down in those two moments, but it was a was was a was an important uh, an important uh, experience uh, setting what would come next, uh, in a way. Do Do you think that researcher mindset is still present today? Was that that you were referring to? Uh, not exactly. It was more like I didn't want to be in the academia mm, in the okay. academic side, mm-hmm. but I had to I had to explore it. To understand, to understand that you didn't like that I liked it to some extent, but I didn't like it in, in other aspects, mm-hmm. and um, it also gave me perspective on what I liked and what I didn't like about consulting. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, in a way, it gave me the perspective I needed to understand. Okay, what I want is more towards, you know, collaboration and um, actively challenging each other's ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and working towards a purpose. That's what I really liked about academia. But then I really liked the practical aspect of having an impact in, in real problems mm-hmm. that I that I also saw in consulting. Okay. Uh, and then I wanted to do something that would merge both. Uh, mm-hmm. And that led me towards agile and, and product and, and all those things. How did you land there? How was the, the process? And at that point you realized that this is not exactly what I want. I want something that's here in the middle. What did you start looking for? Looking back, it's it's very easy to to to, to connect the dots, but it's much harder looking forward. Mm-hmm. At the time, it was a, a blur. It was messy. Um, so initially, the search was more towards um, just project manager in agile context. Okay. I didn't even had a good grasp of project versus product, to be very honest, at the, mm-hmm. at the start. And I was just trying to see, okay, what transferable skills can I apply from my consulting experience? It was more like managing projects, but I wanted to do them inside the, the company. The final and client. In the final client, at the end client, and mm-hmm. as a, as a, in, a, in an agile way, in a, in a more collaborative way. So my keyword searches were, Scrum, project, tech, things around this. And I was mostly using some websites with UK jobs. Okay. Um, UK jobs were all contract-based or were mostly mm-hmm. contract-based. And that was just more complexity. Like I need to move abroad. and then, mm-hmm. uh, where It felt like a lot of complexity. Mm-hmm. They were still in the EU, so. Yeah, at the time, so it was not so complex as it <laughs> as, is today. As today, probably. But um, but yeah, yeah, but I, that that was the process. So I eventually, as I as I as I searched more and as I saw other job titles and I saw other locations, I started digging more and more. I I get more of a clearer picture that when you when I was looking for agile and scrum and and this and these uh, methodologies this product owner and product manager roles were popping more and more mm-hmm. um and I guess Berlin at some point started coming in my 
my radar as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was just uh, a bit of look of the draw as well, like just sent a bunch of applications and mm-hmm. uh, looked at companies that look interesting. And, um, and eventually uh, I went into a process, uh, selection processes in, in Berlin. Mm-hmm. And I really... You went there physically. I went there physically. This was like the times where they would fly, fly you in if you mm-hmm. okay. if you clear the 30 minutes interview. Okay. <laughs> and everybody was flying all the time. Um, yeah, I went there physically and I was like, oh, you have fridges with Coca-Cola and whatever. And like, well, what's this magical startup plan that mm-hmm. did not exist in um, like 10 years ago in, in Portugal? So, So that was like, okay. I want this, and I like this city. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's. I started to notice um, more, more, more job openings. So I applied more, applied more, and eventually, um, I also learned mm-hmm. how to best position my skills and how to best uh, uh, talk about uh, how consulting and project management in consulting. Um, was an experience that I could leverage and, mm-hmm. and what were the differences and what I had to learn. So mm-hmm. it was a discovery process for myself as well in those in those um, interview processes. Mm-hmm. And eventually I was pretty good at it and uh, and I got uh, uh, and I got some offers and I decided on on Zalem. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when you accepted this offer at Zalando, um, how was the, your how were your first years there? I, I really enjoy them. So I still remember the the, the initial feedback from uh, from the product manager that I was that was my buddy, um, and the feedback was something like, "You're not in consulting anymore, Diogo. You can you can relax a bit. You don't need to like overly justify why the development team mm-hmm. um, did not deliver something that they were uh, that was on their to do for this week." Like. Mm-hmm. We're prioritizing and we're reviewing and some things are not going to be perfect and we're iterating. And besides the Coca-Cola fridges all mm-hmm. over the place and uh, um, ping-pong tables. Ping-pong tables. Matraquilhos. Uh, <laughs> foosball. Uh, yeah, foosball tables. Um, that that mindset of like, we have a daily stand-up and we talk about what we, what we were working on. And this actually... Has a creates a stronger bond and a stronger commitment of like I want to contribute to this team, mm-hmm. and I'm accountable to yeah. these guys about where is the spec and mm-hmm. what so are you working on. I don't on. need to justify what's going wrong. I want to contribute and make sure that we improve. Exactly, everybody is imp- is is working towards continuous improvement and not mm-hmm. towards like uh, oh how do I how do I explain the world is messy and things change mm-hmm. to some higher up. Yeah. I mean, there's always some level of visibility and reporting and stuff, but mm-hmm. of it was more like people were not holed up on the little things. And they yeah. were like, oh, wow. And, like, and then the other, I think, I, I, I mean, I, I've talked about this before. So, like, the other thing was everything feels broken all the time, but it gets a little better every week. Mm-hmm. The feeling that it's not perfect, 
we've 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 put uh, we've shipped stuff and it's not necessarily perfect mm-hmm. but we catch it and we fix it and we iterate and we get feedback and we fix it and we fix it yeah and i'm like oh you don't need to have the, a perfect specification that yeah. sits in the drawer for years Maybe that's when you realize that the real like you felt the difference between project based and product based. That's when I then yeah those first sprints or yeah weekly cycles we had that starts to 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 get ingrained in you mm-hmm. and like oh it 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 gets better it mm-hmm. keeps getting better even when at the same time it feels like oh but it could be so much better yeah mm-hmm. but we'll get there. And you're always a bit behind of the ideal, but you're always uh, moving forward at a, at a very good pace. And, and then if you see that, that mm-hmm. velocity even accelerate, then yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's super motivating. Okay. okay good. Let, let's jump around a little bit here sure. more to the, to the personal side of it. So it was moving to Zoland. It was your first product management experience, but it was also your first experience living abroad yeah how how was that experience on the personal level it was it was um it was strange it was scary it was fun um initially it was very logistical i was very logistically minded so it was like all about um getting a place to stay which is very hard in berlin Mm -hmm. it was already back then it's getting hard um Getting a place to stay that you can register, not just a place to stay. That's mm-hmm. what makes it tricky. Uh, that you can register with the, yeah, the authorities so that you can get your tax ID, all, the, all this bureaucracy so that you can get a uh, normal life uh, set up. Then it was the, um, oh, I need to le- learn German. Mm-hmm. Never, you never. had no, learn, no German. I had a little bit. A little I had a little bit. Um, but it, but it, I still have a little bit. Mm. It's basically staying relatively flat. My confidence with the little bit I have has increased because mm. I can do normal daily stuff. Um, but yeah, but Berlin also doesn't put you any pressure because it's English, an English-speaking capital uh, mm-hmm. for for the most part. Um, and yeah, it was very. I was very focused on the logistics. Um, so getting set up, not freezing. Uh, uh, and all those and all those things and and also just performing in the job because it was like mm-hmm. it was all new it's still all, new. everything is new mm-hmm. and you're away from your support network so i didn't have anyone uh, that i knew there um yeah and i had my family and my friends back in portugal so mm-hmm. um so it was a little um challenging and 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 um and harsh Mm-hmm. But I um, and after that initial setup, mm-hmm. eventually I, I I found my crew. So eventually, um, there there are more Portuguese people uh, at, uh, in Berlin that that uh, that started at Zalando, and eventually mm-hmm. I um, I met them, and then I had a group. Mm-hmm. Uh, still, a lot of them are still very good friends, um, and. Um, yeah, and and I also met locals and mo- well, actually not really locals, mostly expat locals. Yeah, uh, they're they're mm-hmm. easier to approach. Mm-hmm. Um, so eventually, I had I had a group of friends established, but uh, but it was something that 
actually took more than the first year to to actually solidify and build. Um, in the end, the way I look at Berlin now um, is like a, a second home. So it's like there's a TED talk um, about uh, the question of where are you from. Mm-hmm. Um, that um, I don't recall the, the details, but it reflects on where do you have the people mm-hmm. that you consider friends, um, the people that frame you a bit your decisions and your thinking or, or have in the past, and where do you have your rituals, the things that you do in your mm-hmm. daily basis, the places where you go for coffee. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, there's a, a two key cities for me in that that are Lisbon and Berlin. Mm-hmm. Um, and how did the how would you compare the Diogo that went to Berlin in twenty thirteen mm-hmm. and the one that came back to Lisbon? I think I I was more judgmental and I became a little more indifferent in a way or or, or like more more in tune with perceptions and observation mm-hmm. than with uh yeah making a decision on something necessarily in terms of like very quickly making snap judgments was something that I think was more part of how I grew up as mm-hmm. a as a bit of an introvert as well uh and i think that um i had a i grew up a lot in berlin and i met people from all places and um, and that helped a lot in in type of in like broadening my my horizons my horizons and and like i, I think that's that's one thing that that uh that was reflected also um caring less about what other people think of mm-hmm. me That that's something uh, that Berlin uh, can 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 teach you, uh, yeah. whoever you are, wherever you're from. Do you think those traits have been important also in the in your professional life? In a way, because for to be a product manager, you need to be assertive, and you might. Um, while diplomacy is super important, and I think that that's uh, that's a skill that I've um, that I had developed uh, early on. With consulting mm-hmm. sometimes you need to also pair that with some assertiveness mm-hmm. um, and um, and having a having that self-esteem that this is like this because this is the best decision that uh, that we should make mm-hmm. even the, the objectives we have uh, and and It also comes from a from a place of self esteem okay. um, that I think um, I guess grew, yeah, with with that experience. Mm-hmm. So you you worked at Zalando, then Fidzai, then OutSystems, and now Ample Market. If I'm not missing anything, uh, so three of these are unicorns. Uh, so more than one B valuation. And one is a fast-growing company, hopefully on the way there. What is it about these hyper-growth companies that attract you so much? Um, I think it, it's the agility uh, on one hand that we talked about, but it's also the fact, it's probably another thing that, that actually comes back from, from consulting, which is 
what drew me to consulting in the first place. Um, having different challenges, having some variety. Mm. So at fast-moving, hyper-growth companies, you're able to actually, on one hand, you see the impact of things over time. Mm-hmm. You're not really changing the the company you're contributing to or the area mm-hmm. uh, every three months. Yeah. But at the same time, it feels like a different company yeah. every three to six months. So mm-hmm. um, the 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 first time I had that realization was definitely at Zalando because we were 200 in tech or, or about that, that number um, when I joined. And by the time I left, four and a half years after, four, four and a half years after um, it was 2000. Uh, it, it surpassed 2000. So every three months, it was not the same company. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the challenges you had to, to align the company would change in the way that top-down communication, bottom-up communication, mm-hmm. coordinating different teams, all these challenges, they had fundamentally um, changed uh, year on year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that's um, that's what you get at, uh, uh, in, in hyper-growth mode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Changes are especially important and innovation maybe it's uh especially important in this in this type of of environment and let let's go to a topic that i know you're quite interested in um the the innovation dilemma it's a book by clayton christensen uh it's one of my favorite books on the topics of business and and management and it was also at the core of your talk at the product weekend how would you summarize the book's message? The key message is that um, there are two types of innovation fundamentally. You have sustaining, uh, sustainable uh, innovation. Um, and sustainable innovation is all about getting a bit better every week, every month, uh, mm-hmm. every year. Um, so it's about incremental change. And, and it requires, um, it is important, it requires focused attention, and it's not that it doesn't matter, but mm-hmm. there is another type of, uh, of, uh, of innovation, uh, which is disruptive innovation, which is, mm-hmm. it's not as common, it's, it's a bit more, uh, special or rare, um, and it's like finding something that's so unique or so different um, that it that it can trigger a 10x uh, mm-hmm. improvement an order of magnitude improvement essentially yeah um, to your metrics or to your business or, mm-hmm. or to the way you're doing things and I think um, the mindset you have when you're thinking of one versus the other needs needs to be different and that's mm-hmm. I think that's the, the, the key message of the book is like um, you need to understand if you're in operating in one mode or in another mode yeah. and you might you might be doing both in different mm-hmm. uh, moments of your of your company or of your product or you might be doing uh, some experiments that might turn out to mm-hmm. have a 10x potential 
but you still need to do your 10 percent sustainable increments on the core product over time yeah and those sustaining improvements they are probably more related to the agile methodology so small incremental improvements the um, the disruptive innovation it's a bit harder to to spot so you need to understand that you are in front of a of, of an a, opportunity of an opportunity that has that and also be able to explain this to others to gather a group of people around that right? exactly so the the challenge often is to to get buy-in for that mm-hmm. but 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 the, the first challenge is in is in our brains if you if you have a a 99 chance at winning a uh, hundred dollars versus mm-hmm. a 1% chance of winning the equivalent to that that mm-hmm. will give you the same earned value in for, in a formula. Mm-hmm. The 1% is not something we like to touch. Mm-hmm. We much better put our money in the 99% yes. uh, sure bet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think a lot of it comes down to that, which is how can we be objective about different opportunities um, in, different, uh, in different spaces? Um, because disruptive innovation, by by its nature, it, if it was obvious, it was already done. Mm-hmm. It cannot be that obvious. And the stories always make it look obvious in retrospect, including yeah. my talk. Yeah. Well, of course, <laughs> I make it look obvious. Um, but um, but that's the challenge, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if it was obvious how to how to that hailing a cab with a, with an app with a click mm-hmm. was much better than just raising your arm. Mm-hmm. It, it was not obvious when when yeah. we came up with it. For sure. Um, so so that's that that's um, that's the key thing, and and agile, uh, and that that was kind of like a, a part uh, of what I mentioned in the talk uh, is that we kind of steer the way from uh, taking big risks uh, in product thinking uh, after the dot. Uh, com crash uh, the mm-hmm. bubble burst and that agile kind of was our um, elected method as a community mm-hmm. overall we kind of converged towards the agile methodologies mm-hmm. as a risk mitigation uh, processor at the same time but it doesn't need to be like that and and that's a bit tongue-in-cheek uh, from the talk as well but mm-hmm. but the, the, the point is that you can purpose an iterative method uh, like agile to also evaluate the scope of opportunities you have mm-hmm. and maybe most of them are just incremental opportunities and that's what you want to focus on and that's fine mm-hmm. um, and maybe you have this 10x opportunities that uh, that are that are fewer and more rare mm-hmm. or maybe you set up a research group for those mm-hmm. yeah you can you can do it in many different ways and you probably need to do both. the 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 key The key thing is being aware of that is the mm-hmm. half the the mm-hmm. challenge. Mm-hmm. From the moment that you realize this, or that you maybe that you mm-hmm. read this book, um, how did change the way that you operate in your in your day to day? Are you Paying more attention to more attention to these disruptive innovation opportunities. Mm-hmm. I think I think the the first contact I had with this with these concepts um, 
was when I was still at Zalando um, at Mind the Product mm-hmm. in London, uh, and I I believe the the, the speaker was uh, Ken Norton from uh, Google Ventures, which has very good writings uh, in product that I highly recommend. And uh, yeah, he 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 was uh, talking about uh, Google Moonshots and how they're set up for exploring 10x. Uh, opportunities we we had at the time at Zalando in the in the logistics department um, really good grasp of metrics uh, and the impact that uh, the changes we were we were uh, exploring how they impacted the workers in the warehouse and their productivity mm-hmm. um, and, it, and it made me think a lot because I realized that okay we're doing amazing improvements and when you think about a 1% or a 2% improvement over a large workforce, mm-hmm. it represents massive savings. Uh, it's very significant. and Or, or massive um, reductions in the time that uh, it takes for mm-hmm. the parcel to get to a customer. So the improvements there were, were significant and important. But that's when I first started to realize, okay, but this is not going to change e-commerce. Mm-hmm. This, yeah. You know? Uh, and that's fine, um, but it 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 lets you put things in perspective and understand. Okay, what would we do that would be drastically better? And maybe not that not that uh, that I can recall any anything in particular in that specific area, mm-hmm. but it stretched a bit my thinking. Mm-hmm. I was completely inside the incremental sustainable. Uh, innovation, and I think we were doing it at a really good pace, and that we re- had really advanced things there. And these things compound, so yeah. it's not um, uh, it, it's not that it wasn't important, but it was uh, important to me to become aware mm-hmm. of okay, you're operating in this space, um, but maybe stuff around. Um, Faster delivery options or different methods of payment mm-hmm. can unlock different type of value yeah. and grow the customer base or, or, or retain the customer base to other mm-hmm. degrees. Yeah. While this can only incrementally improve the experience, and both need to be explored. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Let's jump a bit to the to your current challenge now at Ample Market. So for the ones that don't know the company. What's Ample Market all about? Ample Market helps uh, B2B companies grow. Um, we, we're focused on helping sales teams and mostly their top funnels. So we help uh, accelerate and, and, and scale how you go from identifying your target market and your prospective buyers to getting in contact with them and getting to meetings booked. Mm-hmm. And um, we're basically a compound solution, uh, single platform, for all the, the jobs that sales development teams and business development teams need to get done mm-hmm. to get to those meetings booked, mm-hmm. feeding the pipeline that will turn into revenue, mm-hmm. essentially. What do you mean with compound solution there? Yeah, so there are many tools out there that solve some of these problems. Mm-hmm. So there, there, there's some guys are solving the getting the right data about the companies. Uh, other, other tools are very narrowly focused on just getting phone number information mm-hmm. for given specific contacts. Um, and then you have other tools 
just for planning your engagement uh, campaigns like mm-hmm. uh, how are you what uh, what steps you have in your sequences what stats uh, how are the reply rates and the open rates and whatnot but often these tools are orchestrated uh, so they're a little disjointed and you have to connect them you have to use multiples or you have to go through some manual steps with Excel mm-hmm. or something of the sort and where we see the most value of having a single platform for all this is that every little thing that we add to the platform compounds in value because of the adjacent uh, uh, functionality that it, that the platform provides and supports. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Give you an example: if if we have a, a huge database of people and companies, but you're just pulling that into an Excel file and then using another tool to contact them, mm-hmm. that feedback loop of which ones were contacted and replied and which maybe maybe some of those uh, of that data was not uh, up to date, but that feedback loop is deferred and might not even be integrated. Mm-hmm. But when you're using Ample Market and you have those, those two things in the same platform, that feedback loop is native. Mm-hmm. So that means that uh, every time contacts are being reached out to or 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 refreshed everybody that is using ample market is benefiting from that mm-hmm. um, and that value accrues over time how did you end up joining the company you were in out systems before right yeah so 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 it was not something that um, that I was proactively uh, reaching out mm-hmm. uh, to um, and um, and the, the guys at Ample Market contacted me, and I was curious about the, the, the messages. Uh, so it, it actually uh, a testament to the, to the value of the platform itself that uh, the recruiter uh, contacted me over email and over LinkedIn mm-hmm. uh, using the, the platform itself. So I was getting different pings. And, um, and uh, somewhere along the message, there was a link to, to a podcast uh, with the founders. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, Opened it in a tab, but I was like, I'm not sure if I want to pursue this. Um, and then, is it the one that Lex Friedman? I believe so. Uh, I'm a big fan of Lex Friedman. That that one is is that the three hours one? Probably. Yeah. Not sure if it's the three hours one. I think it's the shorter one. Mm-hmm. But I, but I've also yeah. but I've also caught that one. Um, so so yeah, it was a, it was a shorter one, uh, mm-hmm. and eventually. I listened to that uh, on, on on some idle time uh, when I when I catch up with my tabs, mm-hmm. and then another friend mentioned them to me. Uh, I'm talking with these guys; they're, they're looking for product people. Maybe you should talk with them. Right. Okay, Let, let's mm-hmm. let's Was have that, a chat. Is that also a feature from from Ample Market to have friends <laughs> reaching out to you directly? Not yet. <laughs> we need to productize that. Yeah. Um, uh, so so, but yeah, but but there were like these multiple touch points mm-hmm. um, that led me to to just uh, yeah, let's have a chat, mm-hmm. and um, and I think the the first chat was with uh, uh, with Barbara, and um, she's demoing the product to me mm-hmm. in the recruitment call, and I'm like, okay, the product looks sharp, and the recruiter mm-hmm. can give me a demo of the product, mm-hmm. so this is. Unusually good. <laughs> uh, 
that 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 impressed me. Um, and then the the conversations with the founders also 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 impressed me. And um, and that's how it started. Um, how many people were there at the time? So when I joined uh, back in December, we were twenty. Mm-hmm. We're now over fifty. So it's been it's been growing at a steady pace. Mm-hmm. And how different is it to work product uh, in the trenches, let's say, of a huge company as you have experienced in Feedzire or OutSystems, uh, versus working in a smaller company super closely with the founders, like you do now at Temple Market? In some extent, it's about at which scale you're operating. Um, so it's just, in to some extent, some things feel the same. It's just like, The, that set of teams is the whole company. Mm-hmm. There is not another department that mm-hmm. that has other products, people, and other engineers mm-hmm. and, and building something else that's also part of the company. In some in some senses, uh, that's where they're they're at sometimes similar. But how that translates is that you do not have these mega projects where you need to align between cross department and cross team mm-hmm. which naturally will occur as you grow so as you get to later stages that is just natural you you have more pain in aligning different departments different areas of the company so you spend more time in that um, and that's important as as you, as you mentioned mm-hmm. you have to be in the trenches in the sense of like rallying the troops almost like you need mm-hmm. to like bring those people together from different areas mm-hmm. so you spend much more time evangelizing the value of an initiative okay. okay in a in a startup at early stage mm-hmm. things get decided like that like you can just like oh maybe we should deprive that and prior that and it's something that has impacts to everyone in the company mm-hmm. but if it makes sense and if it's something that uh, that you bring alignment on mm-hmm. with a uh, Uh, and that you have feedback from customers or from users or from your internal users. Mm-hmm. You can make that type of motion that in a, a large hundreds of people, thousands of people company, mm-hmm. oh, okay, let's discuss the funding for next budget for that initiative. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's where it gets different. In the day-to-day, hopefully, if, if companies are scaling well, and I've seen that uh, in the companies I've been through, Mm-hmm. In the day-to-day, you don't feel it as much, but it all depends um, on how on how the the team structure is set up. It's all about good organizational design. Organizational mm-hmm. design is very hard yeah. um, to to avoid that those changes that affect more people have to take so long to decide. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. One of the challenges or dilemmas of Uh, founders of early stage startups is when to get a product manager into the team or a product person a product leader so until that point it's usually the founders that are doing product management how was this transition and how has been that experience for you do you feel you have all the the liberty to take your own initiatives or you feel somehow constrained by the founders ideas how is that balance I think that product managers and product leaders 
are never like the CEO of the product. Mm -hmm. That that for me is a myth. Um, and I think most of our job is about alignment. Mm -hmm. What makes product sexy a lot of times for people that want to transition into product coming from uh, different like myriad of roles mm -hmm. is that oh I cannot decide things because the product manager decided this way. And I'm not saying that decision making is not a core skill of product management. Of course it is. But a lot of it is about alignment mm -hmm. uh, and, um, and about uh, getting buying and getting perspective from multiple sides mm -hmm. before you decide on something. So I do not believe in uh, like uh, product guys that are deciding things like mm -hmm. uh, left and right and just like... Um, Your role is more to calling bring the, the shots alignment. completely. Yeah. Uh, it's about alignment, and and I, I I think founders also, but founders also have that mindset that things need to be aligned, and you're what you're trying to do is to bring as much context as possible to a decision, and to bring as much information and data, mm -hmm. so that you can make the best possible decision. Um, so when you frame things like that. Uh, it 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 becomes more more clear that um, if both founders and product leaders have that mindset of like we're trying to bring a good rationale for a decision, mm -hmm. uh, then these decisions are more collaborative and inclusive of other perspectives. So, what has been your biggest challenge in product? Probably um, more more as a product leader in, in my more recent roles, growing uh, the product team. So it was already a challenge at, uh, at Fitzai, uh, where I was uh, uh, working together with uh, the, the VP of product at the time to hire the, the next product managers uh, in, that joined the company. Uh, we hired like 10 product managers in a year or a year and a half or so. Um, and uh, and putting those pro processes in motion and uh, not just the hiring, but then the onboarding and uh, uh, finding the right people for, for the right uh, areas uh, and enabling them. Um, that, that, it, that is always challenging. Um, in our Empo market, also growing the team and uh, and it's also something that uh, that's a, that's a, a nice challenge to to, to tackle mm -hmm. um, figuring out also how to grow the processes yeah. uh, at the, at the right pace so that you're not introducing too much uh, processes but also that um, the way of working uh, is evolving in a way that Things are not centralized in anyone, and that the team mm -hmm. itself has that uh, ability, empowered. is empowered to tackle things, but it also has some resilience to cover for it for each other and, and help each other mm -hmm. uh, uh, together. So, yeah, growing growing teams has actually been the big challenge. The, the challenge that has been more top of mind mm -hmm. um, in the past as an IC. Many different things from 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 arguing uh, for more uh, user research and mm -hmm. uh, 
and more design and research capacity in the teams mm-hmm. of uh, of more internal products. Uh, okay, it's always tricky uh, mm-hmm. because ah, but we users, have to use it. It can be ugly. Yeah. Sure, but if it's not ugly, maybe they make less mistakes and mm-hmm. uh, and you save more money. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But but it takes you time to understand how to position those things correctly and how to really develop the empathy with the stakeholders and with the decision makers mm-hmm. um, to understand what they care about and how do you translate that to uh, perhaps your vision of what they should care about mm-hmm. and maybe they actually meet in the middle if if you if you explore that well enough mm-hmm. do you consider yourself a perfectionist uh, yeah and wh- why did you say there well it's it's like um i think it's one of those things that it's more of a a tendency that I, that i have uh towards exploring details Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be good because to ship stuff that that uh, that is complete or that is uh, correct, uh, mm-hmm. you better catch uh, some some details, small details and yeah. small details can make a lot of a difference and can can be the, the difference between having impact and not having impact. Mm-hmm. But they also can be time consuming. Yeah. So I know that I have this tendency, so I, I wouldn't call it something positive or negative but it's a tendency mm-hmm. and what i what i try to do is to w- with all those things that i know about myself like this one mm-hmm. rationalize that a bit. rationalize that a bit and, and think about okay are you getting into just getting into details because you're happy talking about all the edge cases and you're having fun or because it's important or is it relevant moment. yeah if it is relevant to understanding so I try to always rationalize things. So that that's another tendency. Um, so like, why does this matter, and how does this impact other decisions? Mm-hmm. Um, and then okay, I need to understand this flow of the product or this uh, specification edge case because I need to understand how it affects the bigger picture. It doesn't mean that uh, that it's going to go into engineering as a task for them to to, to work on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is like, um, but sometimes this is confusing to people. I I work with that I like. Why do you need to cover all this stuff? Now I need to understand all the stuff. Doesn't mean that I'm going to pry all the stuff. So mm-hmm. I like to frame this as like I try to apply pragmatism to to, to correct uh, on on my natural tendency to index on details. Yeah. One important thing in a product management career, I mean, arguably in, in every career. Um, is to have mentors who can show you the path, give you mm-hmm. feedback, etc. Did you have any mentors that helped you yes. succeed? Um, I've collected a few over the years. Um, so, essentially, um, people I've worked with, uh, either either people in product or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, some are peers, some were uh, people I've reported into, some were people that reported to me mm-hmm. that with, with whom I learned a lot and that I still reach out if I have something. I'm like, I know this person can will give me this. perspective yeah. here or, or something of that sort. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I, I think it is 
it is useful to have uh, discussions around feedback and how to improve and and just exchange views on things. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I never had anyone that I told them, you're my mentor. Mm-hmm. So well, not Yoda, officially. Yeah. No, I never had an official mentorship relationship. Mm-hmm. But I but I have people that I consider mentors. Yeah. And some of them are more in that Master Yoda sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of them are kind of like people I can talk with about uh, yeah. things and just have mm-hmm. a sounding board. Um, yeah. I also have the perception that you have the the empathy and also knowledge and experience to be a, a great mentor. How do you embrace that role? Again, never in a very formal capacity. So in the past, we even promoted that role um, like um, at Zalando, for example, that there was a program, buddy program, mm-hmm. um, essentially that you had different perspectives from within the company because such a large company. So you would have someone from a completely different area that could be your mentor for, for a month or two. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, so... So I did that there, and that was kind of like um, the only the only place where it was kind of more like formal thing. Um, some people just uh, reach out and uh, or people I've worked with that want to maintain that type of uh, relationship where they mm-hmm. want to check in every so often. Yeah. In my experience. It works particularly really well if you have a fixed schedule for checking in, so you make it a habit, even mm-hmm. even if it's over coffee or beers. Or yeah, whatever. yeah. Um, I have that with breakfast. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, the 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 value I get from it um, is kind of like staying grounded as well, in terms of like this is how a person at this career stage level thinks mm-hmm. and and deals with things and and thinks about them the relationship is different from a manager uh, slash report relationship mm-hmm. so it's like almost like and now I sound like an old man that doesn't understand TikTok <laughs> and the, the new generation but it's a bit like that mm-hmm. it's a bit like um, you start to forget some of the pains you had as a, an individual contributor at the start of your career Mm-hmm. And having that connection with more people that are growing through that. Uh, you also stay in touch and understand the people that you're working with, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And helps you. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. How would you describe your work-life balance? Well, I strive to, to monitor it. So, I have fun at work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think since I've since I've uh, found this uh, this profession of product management that I can say that I have a lot of fun at work. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes more, sometimes less. That there 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 yeah. are, there are moments. Um, currently, I'm having a lot of fun <laughs> at Temple Market as an early stage startup. It's it's uh, it's something that's new to me. The 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 stage we're at, and I'm really enjoying it. You feel that it's too much fun that you end up like playing console until <laughs> 2 a.m. It, it can be. So that's the, mm-hmm. that's where I was going with, yeah. with the framing. It's like, 
uh, I have to 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 be mindful mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and be able to be like okay, this can wait for tomorrow uh, and close shop at at, at some mm-hmm. point. Like, uh, um, but I but I also like that I have fun. Mm-hmm. So and uh, I I have friends uh, and I know people that that are a bit more forceful about work life balance and they try to see it as oh but if you if you've worked after this time or if you oh but you open the computer uh, when after dinner what's mm-hmm. wrong hey if I'm doing that instead of watching Netflix mm-hmm. and if nobody's pressuring me to do it mm-hmm. then it's not really necessarily a problem yeah mm-hmm. if i'm not paying attention to my significant other or if i'm forgetting to <laughs> to meet with friends or, yeah. or, or being neglectful in other aspects of my life then it is a problem <laughs> so i try mm-hmm. i try to to keep that in mind but but to be honest i i it, it's i see it more as work-life plan mm-hmm. so i see it more as like Now with remote and, and all these things, I often uh, just get my computer and go to the to the gym with the computer and then mm-hmm. find a, a coffee place nearby and work okay. from there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really enjoy it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. and has it always been like that? Or was there no. a specific moment? Have you been through some darker times where there was too Con- much work? Consulting is known for mm-hmm. that, and my experience was no exception. Like not always, but mm-hmm. there were some projects where where there were lots of extra hours, mm-hmm. well, just in the extra effort and not in the extra pay sense, uh, of course, because mm-hmm. it's more true. Yeah, um, and at those <laughs> time it was not because you were enjoying. Was there pressure put on you? Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, at the time you didn't know what you enjoyed or not. Just yeah. kid out of university, and this is work, and this yeah. is all you know. Um, no, but that 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 was almost part of the the role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, nobody was um, not expecting it yeah. in a sense. Yeah, yeah. I think mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it it was a different time. There were also no consulting was the major thing that you could do coming out of uh, engineering school was mm-hmm. the, the most obvious one um, and it was challenging but it was also fun there was also social element to it mm-hmm. we met a lot of people yeah. um, so wh- while I'm acknowledging those things I don't look back at it with uh, regret or, or, yeah. or any negative feeling mm-hmm. it was just like what it was um, but it was definitely not because I was having necessarily having fun with the work That was mm-hmm. going into, um, into like the way past uh, dinner time and stuff mm-hmm. uh, at times. Yeah. I think, um, I think that in Germany, uh, it was a great transition to, to product, uh, in, in, uh, at in Berlin, because Germans are really strict with work mm-hmm. time. Yeah. So if I would work half an hour more on any given day, Then everyone would everyone would notice, and they <laughs> yeah. would call you out on it. Like yeah, mm-hmm. you're making the rest of us look bad because you're working yeah. unpaid extra time, and mm-hmm. that's why you're getting better results. This was you mm-hmm. had like social pressure not to, yeah, yeah. Um, which was coming out of 
consulting in, in Lisbon. Course. This yeah. was very funny to me. Yeah, uh, yeah. So but, Maybe but it, we need a, li a little bit of that. We need a little bit of that. And, and I think we got it. Mm -hmm. I, th I think things have changed over time. Maybe not mm -hmm. everywhere, but um, but uh, uh, even though startups are are very fast paced environments, mm -hmm. I never saw the level of pressure yeah. there. Um, or maybe maybe it's just because I'm older and I, I understand um, the reason behind certain moments where you have to work more. But mm -hmm. nobody made an effort to explain it. Uh, Yeah. Back in the day, in consulting, it, it was just not how things were. Mm -hmm. um, and um, yeah, all, 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 on that note, like um, the other thing that I think that uh, that was fundamental for me in Germany was like not working on weekends, mm -hmm. even if you like uh, when when I got back, I almost felt like uh, the this mixed experience had broken me because I was like I had the consulting mindset of like I can fix that on Saturday. Yeah. But then the German uh, mindset of like, you cannot work on the weekend. So and also you could not take the computer to the clubs there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the funny thing is that I come back to Portugal. And I, I come back to Portugal and I'm like, oh, I can still commit to this because I have the weekend. Mm -hmm. But then I got to the weekend and I physically, like I was not predisposed. I never had that. Yeah. I had like a, a real hard time if I scheduled work for the weekend because I had got used to the weekend is for resting. Yeah. Um, so it took me <laughs> it took me some time to adapt and to understand that no the weekend is really um, mm -hmm. not to work uh, when I <laughs> when I came back. Mm -hmm. uh, for me personally so remote work is a, a big perk but I also work uh, I also enjoy working at the office from time to time. Uh, someone who's been th through the three different settings, I guess, so mm -hmm. full remote, full full on-site, and also hybrid. What's your opinion about the future of remote work? I think it's a, it is the future. So I I, I find that um, it is it is hard to 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 consider for myself a full on-site job again. Mm -hmm. um, and I what I see my impression from people I talk with and from um, from what I understand uh, in my network is that what people most want is the flexibility. So mm -hmm. it's kind of uh, having both, mm -hmm. which is kind of impossible in a way because you cannot on demand have everybody in the office. Yeah. Um, so what I find is the, the, the compromise you can have there is, okay, Have the flexibility of remote first, mm -hmm. and then having some opportunities for contact mm -hmm. with your with your with your team, with your peers, with your manager, with your colleagues, in in uh, more infrequent settings. Um, so what what um, what we have at Ample Markets uh, there is that we we have an office in Lisbon. It's a small studio. Mm -hmm. Of course, we cannot put everybody there all the time because they're not even all in Portugal yeah. of course um, not even all in one city or one country um, but we can have some people that drop in mm -hmm. and if you feel like dropping in that's fine and you'll you'll be with someone there perhaps mm -hmm. or perhaps you'll just have a a working space that's yeah. a bit away from home because you don't want to be stuck at home on a sunny mm -hmm. day and you want to be outside and, and be yeah. at an office that that you can then go 
to have lunch mm -hmm. uh, somewhere. Yeah. So between that and team building activities uh, that 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 uh, like we had an offsite uh, mm -hmm. with the whole team in May. Uh, yeah. So these are these are, these I believe is the best way that companies can adapt. Um, I feel like some companies are not exploring those opportunities of how to get people to to meet uh, and and find themselves uh, in this uh, in this team building context and that cannot be forgotten because without that uh, I think you're missing out on one big functional element uh, and even emotional element that the office had um, for to feel that you're part of a team so you need to replace that with other um, formats or other initiatives with something else but at the same time nobody wants to drop the perk of the flexibility that remote gives them. Mm -hmm. um, and I in particular use it a lot for working from coffee shops that's my mm -hmm. uh, my take okay good uh, so we are almost reaching the end of, of this episode um let's go just a little bit to your hobbies and it's a shame that we are at the end because i know that you have a lot of fun things to <laughs> to talk about uh, what are some unusual things that you're passionate about so i collect hats uh i'm using them less and less these days um but I, but i still wear them uh, yeah every yeah. so often uh, a PM always needs to, to wear a different different hat yeah, every yeah, day. I, How many hats do you have? I I think the number was I, I don't think I've crossed the, the 30 mark. Okay. But I'm not sure yet. I have an Excel with it. So <laughs> Okay, nice. What other things? Um I also collect uh pipes, cigar pipes. Mm -hmm. Um and um yeah i think the number there is around 10 or or okay. under 10 still um and i i play with legos uh, so that's something that's something that's been with you since childhood or something that started later it was with me at childhood um so besides games and books legos were a big part of it mm -hmm. um and then it some point I stopped, um, became a teenager, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, much later on, uh, I I got into into a habit of buying a, a big one for Christmas when I was back in Portugal. So th mm -hmm. this was during my um, expat years. Mm -hmm. um, yes. it, it became a Christmas family tradition. Uh, started with the Taj Mahal, mm -hmm. uh, which is a beautiful set. Um, and I typically only buy now sets, or mostly I buy only sets that can have a decorative purpose. Mm -hmm. um, okay. However, they're destined to live only in my office. <laughs> okay, uh, that, that's super interesting. I mean, I was also a big fan of Legos and I've been wanting to, to buy some. I still didn't get into it, maybe when I become an expert the, sometime. The, the, the ones that are top of mind for me right now that I want to buy next, but mm -hmm. I've been delaying this because I'm planning to, to move houses and okay. moving Legos is a pain, so I'll buy them after I buy the house. Um, uh, are the typewriter. So it's like a typewriting okay. machine, okay. but 
Does it work? It, it doesn't have ink, but it functionally yeah. moves the keys. Yeah. Uh, nice. and, and from a distance, it looks like uh, mm-hmm. it's the real thing. Nice. So they don't, you don't get that it's, uh, that it's made of Lego immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that, that one is super nice. Um, I would love to have the Coliseum, but it's huge. No, it's not just like the price tag. It's also the space, like it takes, space it takes. Like, yeah. But it's, it's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I love Rome. Um, mm-hmm. And then there is... Uh, they, they made a globe. Like a, globe? A, a functionally rotating Yeah, we Earth can't, can't you. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah. And cool. they're always giving me reasons to spend money. <laughs> it's, a, it's a problem. Yeah. Would you like to work at Lego someday? They only have positions in uh, Den- close to Denmark in... Mm. Island or it's it's like a small town mm-hmm. starting with a B, mm-hmm. um, and um, so you're already looking into it. <laughs> I, I I know it. I, I've I've looked into it in the past. Mm-hmm. I've never applied, um, mm-hmm. but um, the thing is, I think the thing I would like to do at Lego or with Lego is doesn't really connect with what I do and what I love to do with my job. Mm-hmm. So I That's think it. those things will. Will stay separate because nice. um, I like the physical part of Lego, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, managing the the website or the or some digital aspect of Lego mm-hmm. doesn't connect with me at the emotional level. Then playing with Lego bricks yeah. does. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, it's a brand that I that I really admire mm-hmm. uh, for sure. Nice. All right, just to to wrap it up. Uh, What are your three favorite books? Hmm. My three favorite books, I believe, are all fictional. And um, 1984. Okay. Also on my top list. Um, the, the first volume of Game of Thrones. I believe it's called Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first book maybe one on the business or product the selfish related. gene the selfish gene the selfish gene all right and what are your three favorite cities i guess series city cities so three favorite cities so you already know two mm-hmm. what's um, the third one? Oh well i already know three rome uh, berlin and lisbon no It's tricky, actually, because I really like London and Porto, mm-hmm. too. Um, stack ranking them is cruel. Um, <laughs> All right, I will, uh, I will spare you that pain. <laughs> <laughs> and we have five five good cities that you would recommend someone to, to visit. Yeah, right? for sure. Yeah. For sure. And last but not least, the three favorite podcasts. Do you listen to podcasts? I do. Um, so I, I listen to a lot of Portuguese podcasts actually so just mm-hmm. uh, um, the news slash politics mm-hmm. slash comedy podcasts uh, in Portugal okay. uh, outside of those uh, Smartless uh, okay. is fantastic um, I if uh, for people that never uh, listen to it I highly recommend the interview with uh, George Clooney on Smartless 
and I haven't been listening to to, to podcasts slightly much besides the Portuguese ones uh, and Smartless actually. Mm-hmm. Okay, then maybe you can recommend two Portuguese ones for Portuguese uh, listeners. Uh, I think one that is not that well known that I that I really enjoy is um, about history. Okay. Uh, o resto é história, Portuguese, okay. and um, it's one hour long, more or less each episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. It plays on the radio in Renascença or mm-hmm. or Observador. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, and it has this. Uh, uh, it has a host um, that um, that is on on other uh, shows that I don't remember his name. He's a political commentator. Um, mm-hmm. And then it has a historian, a Portuguese historian, okay. and they will dig up stuff like from medieval times from. 19th century, um, mm-hmm. and they always have very, very interesting and insightful stories. Um, I particularly like to to learn more about the early Portuguese Republic. They have okay. some, some interesting stuff about that, mm-hmm. but they also cover uh, uh, things like um, Ottoman Empire and stuff like that. Uh, and, and speaking of history... Uh, another podcast, this time an international one that I just mm-hmm. remember that I really like, is uh, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History, okay. where he gives you also in-depth uh, lessons on history, uh, and he, it's a monologue podcast, mm-hmm. but he has a great voice, and uh, he can he can walk you through the fall of the Roman Empire in just under twenty hours. Uh, <laughs> Or, or something like that, okay. uh, and it's uh, it's super interesting. It really gets into the details. Mm-hmm. Nice. All right. Um, where can people find you online if they like to connect? Uh, very to easily on uh, on LinkedIn. So mm-hmm. I think my my LinkedIn handle is my last name, and um, mm-hmm. okay. um, All right. Or or you can just reach out by email. Diogo at templemarket.com Okay. Thank you very much, Diogo. It was really nice talking to you. Thanks for the invite.